And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello everyone, I'm Carl Amari and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, I'll present the conclusion to Duffy's Tavern starring Ed Gardner from 1945. Then Gerald Moore stars as Raymond Chandler's hard-boiled detective Philip Marlowe from 1949. With me, as always, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Are you enjoying uh, Duffy's Tavern? I love Duffy's Tavern. It's one of the funniest radio shows of all time, and it's so similar to the television show Cheers, you know? And I was just talking about that just a little while ago. With Allison? With Allison, yeah. who's uh, joined us here, my cousin's here. here, and we were talking about the yeah. similarities between Duffy's Tavern and the television show Cheers. Well, and you watch Cheers, and then you listen to a Duffy's Tavern show, and you just say, wow, what a, a quinky dink. No, right? no, no new ideas, huh? Yeah, I guess not. All right, well, we're listening to a great show from January 5th, 1945, where Archie quits his job. Special guest is Jinx Falkenberg. Let's tune it in. The conclusion to Duffy's Tavern. <laughs> Ah, go soak your feet, you big mullet head. Ah, me. Such a tender parting. Well, it's no use leaving bad friends. <laughs> well, Eddie, I guess I'd better pack me stuff now. Let's see. Uh, where's my uh, bartender's handbook? Uh, you mean how to win friends and put people under the influence? <laughs> yeah. Right over there next to your Mickey manual. <laughs> oh, thanks. Now, let's see. I'll need me short measure jigger with the false bottom. Uh, now, what else? Hey, Miss Archie, that girl over there, ain't that Miss Jinx Parkenberg? Where? Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at the cut of that dress. <laughs> if the top was any lower and the skirt was any shorter, it'd make a great belt. <laughs> Boy, what an epic dermis. <laughs> Hello, Jinx. Well. Hello, Archie. Jinx, I don't know how to greet you. You know, I'm so bedrazzled by the glamour of your punkertudinous femininity. <laughs> and uh, so overcome by the delicacy of your scintillating presence, I'm, I'm just speechless. Well, I'm glad that's over. So am I. Now, <clears throat> leave us get down to conversation. Uh, how you been? Oh, very well, thanks. And you? Uh, oh, fair to meddling. You're certainly uh, looking well. Oh, pardon me. I didn't mean to stare. <laughs> no, 
Archie. What I meant was that you seem to be in very good condition. Oh, well, I'm like you are. I'm very careful with my body. I, uh, <laughs> I treat it like a delicate machine, you know. Uh, you know how I got this physique of mine, don't you? Malnutrition? Yeah. <laughs> and plenty of it. <laughs> yes, sir, lots of fresh air, exercise. What have you been doing for exercise? Oh, I've been, uh, working out in a gym. Oh, calisthenics. Well, I got a few blisters. <laughs> yeah, but doing, uh, that weightlifting, you know, flying around on a trapeze, uh, Rope climbing, barbells, cut it out, Eddie. <laughs> yep, exercise has done me a lot of good. Uh, uh, had great results from it. You know that uh, magazine, Strength and Health Digest? Certainly. I can tear it in half. <laughs> but enough about me, Jinx. Uh, you look like you're in pretty good shape yourself. Uh, what have you been doing for exercise? Oh, I've been doing a lot of walking. Oh. Well, if you want to go out with them kind of guys. <laughs> that's strictly your own business. I, I, I just... Who should tomato? it? Then again, please. I wish you would be a little more cool. Jinx, uh, <laughs> uh, this is Mr. Finnegan. I'm very happy to know you, Finnegan. Hey, Arch, this thing's a fast wicket. <laughs> I, it, and wait a minute. Didn't I see your picture in Photoplay magazine last week? Possibly. In a strapless dress? Yes. With a bare midriff? That's right. And a long neck? Right. I thought the face was for me. <laughs> really, I'm embarrassed for you. Uh, what was that? I'm embarrassed for you. Well, thanks, Archie. If I can ever be embarrassed for you, just call me. Anyway, why don't you go pawn yourself and lose the ticket? Uh, uh, Jinx, uh, how come you're in town tonight? I'm going over for the USO. Oh, uh, what are you going to do over there? Well, that's just it, Arch. I don't know what to do. I can't sing and I can't dance and... Well, I got a feeling that in your case, the boys will overlook a lot. <laughs> Excuse me. Hello? What? No, it's too late to offer me a raise. Twenty-five? No, sir. You could make it fifty, seventy-five, even a buck. <laughs> I still quit. And the same to you, sir. Uh, Jinx, uh, you say you were going overseas, That's eh? right. Uh, look, how's about hiring me? No. Well, then maybe I could be your... No. Well, you're going to need... No! What else can I do well? <laughs> now, look, Jinx, you just said yourself that you can't dance and you can't sing. Why don't you take somebody with you who can? Archie, you mean that you sing and dance? Yes. <laughs> I not only sing and dance, but I tell great jokes, you know. Does that solve the problem? No, Archie, it's not that simple. What I really need is a whole truth. Jinx, if I can get the troop, can I go with you? Well, uh... It's a deal. Now, wait right here. In a few minutes, I'll have the whole show ready for you to look over. Hey, Eddie, uh, Finnegan, come here a minute. Answer the phone, Eddie, and tell him I'm still quitting, that he is a jerk, a crumb, and an ignoramus. Hello? Mr. Dudley? Uh, the opinions about to be expressed do not necessarily represent those of the speaker. 
you are a. Oh. Well. He beat us to it and added fathead. <laughs> the unmedicated gore. Well, when Jink sees this show we got here, I can fit this crummy joint upon good riddance. Now, uh, Eddie, you get your song ready, and I'll uh, go over and uh, check with Finnegan, Miss Duffy. Right, Mr. Schubert. <laughs> Just call me Messers. I'll be right with you. Eddie? Well, he suffers from a conflict. What do you mean? He's got a champagne imagination and a beer head. <laughs> See, Miss Falkenberg, he quits this job every third day. But this time, I'm afraid he's thinking of quitting. In which case, he would be very unhappy. Because he really loves this place. Well, why don't you talk him out of it? Oh, that's what I was hoping you might do. You mean bring him to the senses? Yeah. Of course, it would be the first time they ever met. <laughs> well, I'll see what I can do, Eddie. Well, Jinx, we're all ready to roll. I got a show here that them guys overseas will be nuts about. Uh, just sit down over there and listen to it. Uh, okay, in the pits, music. <laughs> Again, you lucky people, 110 pounds of charm and personality. <laughs> Zero Archie. <clears throat> the slap happy pappy with the snappy chatter that chases away them blues. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Bob. That's the idea, folks. Everybody joins in. <laughs> well, sir, a funny thing happened to me on my way down here tonight. I was... Uh, You're a bum. I was accosted by a panhandler. He come up to me and he... You're a bum! Oh, yeah? See the way I handle them heckless, Jinx? <laughs> a funny thing happened to me on my way... Please, sir. A simple, you're a bum, would have sufficed. <laughs> now, uh, that, uh, that popular duo of two... Them uh, perennial favorites of stage, screen, and radio, appearing for the first time anywhere. <laughs> Here they are. Half a wit in a mist. <laughs> the kids will sing that popular hit, Indian Love Call. When you're calling me. Wasn't it sensational? Wasn't it terrific? Yes, I liked it. Yes. Are you kidding? <laughs> no, it was great, Archie. Those people really love you. You think? Ah, them crumbs around here, why do they know? I don't think they're crumbs, Archie. I think they're wonderful people. 
Uh, yes, they're so warm and friendly, and, and they seem to represent all walks of life. Yeah, I guess they do at that. Rich man thief, poor man thief, <laughs> beggar man thief. Yeah, Jinx, they're really good. Uh, well, Jinx, what about the European trip? But won't you miss these people, Archie? Well, I... No, no, I ain't the sentimental type. I, I can get along without them. Uh, so, you I, I got a little surprise for you to take uh, with you when you leave. Yeah. Let's see. Mm. A little bag of sawdust. <laughs> Gee, that's nice of you, Finnegan. Uh, yeah, Mr. Archer, I got a little going away present for you, too. A lock of hair from the moose head. <laughs> oh, thanks, Eddie. Gee, fellas, these things are certainly going to remind me of the place. Well, Jinx, I... Well, Jinx, I... I think we'd better start going. Come on. Let's get out of this crummy dump, will you? Will you cut it out, fellas? You see, Archie, they really love you. Huh? Yeah, they do, don't they? Hello? Hello, Duffy. I ain't gonna quit. No, I won't leave, Duffy. No, I'll, I'll never, never leave you. Duffy. He's crying. <laughs> uh, Jinx. Jinx, I guess you're right. Tell the fellas overseas I'm, I'm sorry, but my place is here bringing happiness to these people. My people. You're a bum! You see, they really love me. <laughs> That's Duffy's Tavern from January 5th, 1945. Archie quits his job starring Ed Archie Gardner. Special guest Jinx Falkenberg, also in the cast, Sandra Gould, Charlie Cantor, and Eddie Green. I hope you enjoy that. Let's take a break. When we come back, it's the adventures of Philip Marlowe. Don't go away. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. All right, it's time now for the adventures of Philip Marlowe. This detective was created by Raymond Chandler for his novel, The Big Sleep. Now, in the films, Marlowe was played by a variety of actors. Dick Powell, Robert Montgomery, Humphrey Bogart, James Gardner, Robert Mitchum. It premiered on radio in 1947 and lasted all the way till 1951. And then on television, Philip Carey played him in a 1959 TV series. But right now we have a radio episode for you from December 3rd, 1949. This is called The Kid on the Corner. It stars Gerald Moore, part one of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time it started with a kid hawking papers on Hollywood Boulevard. And moved from there to a house full of hate on a quiet street. A blonde liar on ice skates, and a corpse in a burned-out shack. And it all wound up right where it really began, in the heart of the kid on the corner. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Kid on the Corner. After a day jam full of heat waves in December, actresses who passed mascara in Long A's office talent, and producers with glossy convertibles and holes in their shoes, the world looked as phony as a $7 bill. 
And when I finally closed my office, stepped out onto Hollywood Boulevard into the glare from miles of sheet iron Christmas trees on lamppost trunks and watched a loudspeaker Santa Claus with neon reindeer trundle by in a cloud of artificial snow, I'd have gladly traded all of Hollywood, California for one quiet Vermont hillside and thrown my license in to boot. All of which convinced me that what Marlowe needed most was a martini in his own apartment, a good book, and a night's sleep in that order. So I started home after them, but only got as far as the middle of the street. Hey, Mr. Marlowe, wait up. It was the kid who sold papers on the corner. Mr. Marlowe, can you spare a minute? I've got to talk to you. Okay, Tommy. Let's get out of the street first, huh? <laughs> I'm not so good at dodging fenders. Oh, yeah, sure. What's on your mind, kid? That's uh, about my uncle, Bert. Bert Larson. He, he's gone, Mr. Marlowe. What about your family, Tommy? Don't they know where he is? Oh, I don't have no family. I've been living with Uncle Bert in a flat down in Van Ness. Hey, if you haven't had your dinner yet, maybe you'd eat with me in the cafeteria, huh? It's it's real important to me, Mr. Marlowe. Anything that's important to you, kid, is important to me. Let's go in. Oh, swell. I should have known something was wrong when I heard him walking around. Late last night, you know? He said he was after a drink of water, but he's got those metal plates, kind of like caps on his shoes, so... I knew he was all dressed, only... I was too sleepy to think anything about it then. Maybe he just got an early start and he's been busy today, huh? No, it's not like that, Mr. Marlowe. Something's wrong. Well, you have, gentlemen. The pork's nice tonight. Stew's the best deal for the money, Mr. Marlowe. Okay. I'll uh, have the stew, please. Yeah, you better make it too, miss. Okay, a couple of stews coming up. See, when I got up this morning, I found this envelope on the dresser. There was 200 bucks inside and this was written on the front. Huh? Let's see it. Dear Tommy, must leave town on business. I'll send more money soon. Be a good kid and take care of yourself, Uncle Bert. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. I spent all day trying to find out where he went. I checked everything but the airport. I know he wouldn't take a plane. He gets dizzy just standing on a curb. No luck, though. Milk, Mr. Marlowe? No, I'll have coffee, Tommy. I feel rugged. And there's a table over in the corner. Come on, huh? Okay. What really makes it fishy is that Uncle Bert's got no out-of-town business. Besides, he's never been out in front more than 20 bucks in his life. I can't figure it. Now, look, Tommy, if you're really worried, you don't want me. You ought to go to the police right away. Cops? Yeah. No, I can't. Why not? Well, Uncle Bert's been awful good to me, but, well, I guess he's really kind of a bum. You see, he's a gambler, Mr. Marlowe, a bookie. Uh -huh. Just a harmless small time, sure, but I'd get him in an awful jam if I called the cops. Will you try to find him for me? I got dough. I'll pay you whatever you charge. Don't worry about the money, Tommy. I got one lead for you. This name here in the back of the envelope, see? Yeah. Lester Carney. And the number 3,004 and a half. Does that mean anything to you, kid? No. Oh. I'd have looked that guy up myself, only you know how far a kid could get. Sure. Gee, Mr. Marlowe, I'm sure my uncle didn't leave town. It's something else. It's gotta be. He's in some kind of trouble. Now, Tommy, you know that he might be on the wrong end of it, don't you? Yeah. Well, if that's right, I, I want to find it out fast, Mr. Marlowe. Here's a picture of him. Mm-hmm. Scared, son? Me scared? Nah. Not for myself, anyway. I... Yeah. Yeah, I guess I am, kind of. Well, okay, Tommy, eat your dinner, and then get back to work. I'll see what I can find out, huh? I patted my new client on the shoulder and left the cafeteria. But I was sure of one thing. The dry rot that gets to most people in Hollywood wouldn't touch a hard-working kid named Tommy Lawson was already smarter at 15 than a lot of citizens get at 50. I stopped in a phone booth and found the name Lester Carney listed in the book at 8110 Cherokee Street. 
That turned out to be an oversized California Spanish model that had taken lots of old-fashioned wealth to build. Halfway up the curving walk to the already open front door, I heard the voices. All right, Susan, if that's the way you feel, I don't want you in this house another night. Well, I'm sorry, Mom, but I don't think that spying and telling lies are a part of a maid's duties, so I'm leaving. But I would like to know about my back salary first. You'll come get your back salary, my girl. Don't worry about that. Now get out. Very well, Mom. Excuse me, sir. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, what do you want? I'm looking for Mr. Lester Carney. Is he in? He is not. Oh, would you mind telling me where I can locate him? I don't know. And I don't care uh, anymore. Just a minute, just a minute. Is he with Bert Lawson, maybe? I don't know what you're talking about. Now get out of here. And good night to you, too, Mrs. Carney. <laughs> hey! Hey, Susan! Just a minute, baby! And who are you calling, baby? Well, I call anybody baby when they're as cute as you are. <laughs> you're not so bad yourself. Well, now that that's established, let's get friendly. I'm always friendly. But they're not, huh? Oh, there's going to be trouble in that house. Oh? Well... Good night, mister. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll give you a lift in the car. <laughs> Let me have your bag. Well, all right. Thank you. Yeah. Say, uh, what about that trouble you spoke of, Susan? What did you mean? It's Mrs. Carney. Julia. Oh. She isn't as pretty as she used to be. She's turned around, Sid. She's driven that poor husband of hers out of his mind. He almost never comes home nowadays. Practically lives in his studio. Studio? Uh, what kind? Photography. Oh. It's way up in the Hollywood Hills someplace. Susan, did you ever hear either of them mention of Bert Lawson? No. Why, who's he? A gambler. I gather from Julia that Connie's blowing the family fortune, huh? Sure he is. And that's not all she's driven him to. No. What else? What do you think? Another woman, of course. Oh. An ice skater named Carol King at the Igloo. That's that nightclub with the skating show? Yeah, I've been there. Does Mrs. Carney know? Oh, she suspects. That's why she wanted me to spy on him. But I wouldn't because I don't blame him one bit. Not with Julia being like she is. Yeah, maybe you're right, Susan. But then again, maybe you've got your cause and effect backward, huh? Yes? Well, I don't know anything about that. But that poor man's been driven so crazy, he's threatened to kill her. Well, here's where I get out. And stay out. That's the first portion of Philip Marlowe. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. To my right, the vivacious Lisa Wolf, and to my left, the very talented Mike Costella. That's my team here on Hollywood 360. And uh, we just have a few more days, folks, to take advantage of the 50% off sale on the Cinnamon Bear and Suspense Volume 1. If you want to digitally download the entire Cinnamon Bear radio series, normally $19.99, is yours throughout the month of November, so just a few more days, for $9.99, half price. Also, Suspense Volume 1, which is normally $19.99, you can get through November for $9.99. And some of the stars on Suspense, Lisa, Bela Lugosi, Orson Welles, Mary Astor, Paul Lucas, Lisa Wolf, and many, many more on this uh, suspense episode. Yeah, I really appreciate yeah. working with such um, yeah. talent. This was one of your first radio gigs, right, with suspense yeah. back in 1942? Yeah, I think that was my wow. first. Wow, you sound great. Thanks. Yeah. A little bit different than I do now, right? Yeah, no. Grown through the years. You, have, you did a great job on there. But Suspense Volume 1, normally 19.99, yours for 9.99. 
and the Cinnamon Bear, a uh, tradition around Christmas time. you got to tune into the Cinnamon Bear. Now, both of these are normally $19.99, yours for 50% off, $9.99 each throughout the month of November, and they're digital downloads, so you get them instantly when you go to our website, which is ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Make sure you do it before the end of November. Now back to the adventures of Philip Marlowe. I dropped Susan off at the car stop and headed out Sunset Boulevard for Westwood in a club called the Igloo which looked more like a down-at-the-heel Taj Mahal than an Eskimo's bedroom. Inside a line of fast-moving ostrich plumes with rye crisp waistlines and imitation sable, zipped over a short sheet of tinted ice toward the climax of chorus numbers. While I bluffed my way backstage and intimidated the call boy into sending over one Carol King. She turned out to be left end in the lineup out front, so I sat down on a cold trunk and waited until the curtain fell. And I got up to greet an athletic blonde with more than healthy face who sidled dubiously toward me, ice skates and all, and I introduced myself and told her I was looking for Bert Larson. Why are you looking for Bert Larson, Marlowe? Well, because people say he's disappeared. Now, I know he's a bookie. You don't have to protect him on that score, and I'm no cop. Just want to know where he's gone. Okay. I hear he made a real killing yesterday, the first one in his life. I understand he's leaving town to retire. Hmm. Who's going to make book for you from now on? Nobody. I never play the horses. My friends do. Oh, friends like Lester Carney? Lester? <laughs> well, now we get down to business. You smell like you're working for a wife, Shamus. Yes, again, sugar. I'm after Bert Larson, nothing else. That's why I want to talk to your friend. Where is he? Lester Carney is no friend of mine. You know, you should be smart enough to know you're just wasting your time with that pitch. Look, bud, he was my friend, sure, but that's all off as of an hour ago. We're all through, washed up. I gave him the boot. Why? Did he run out of blank checks? I ought to bust your shin wide open for that. keep those skates on the floor, honey. Then skip the cracks. I threw him out because I got sick and tired of waiting. He's kept me on the string for months with nothing but promises. Said he hated his wife, but when it comes down to cases, he refused to leave her. Why? I don't know. Got some hold over him. He hasn't nerve enough to break. So I wrapped him up in a neat little bundle and sent him home. It was a mess. I'll bet. Between you and Julia, he must be in a great frame of mind tonight. That's his problem now, brother, not mine. What is yours? How to keep your life on ice? No, wise guy. For your information, I'm quitting this show. I'm going to make a clean break all around. Happy landings. But look, what's the connection, if any, between Lawson and Carney? Why, Mr. Marlowe, I have no, no idea. idea. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, sugar, that's where we'll leave it for now. But in making that clean break, be sure it's not your neck. I'll see you around. I had nothing tangible to base it on, but as I left the igloo and drove back to Hollywood for some reason, I kept thinking that Tommy Larson was right, that his uncle was still in town and in some kind of trouble, and I was sure that at least half of Carol King's story had been lies, but why, I couldn't figure. And another idea hit me, and hit me hard. I turned on to Cherokee again and drove up to Carney's house at 8110, parked, and went in. There the vague hunch began to shape up my grim fact because... The front door was wide open and spilling a pale glow from the one light in the house, the hall lamp. I saw the note propped under the lamp even before I went in. I left it where it was. It said, to whom it may concern. I have paid all my just debts, my affairs are in order, and since life has been made intolerable for me, I have destroyed that which made it so, my wife, Julia. Now there's nothing left, I shall dispose of myself, nor am I sorry, 
Lester Carney. And I looked up beyond the note and saw her lying at the edge of the circle of light from the lamp. Julia had been strangled by a silk cord that was still embedded in her swollen throat. I turned and started for the phone. There you are. Oh. So I got here a little too late, huh? Or is it too soon? My wife's dead, so what's the difference? Better stand still because I'll shoot fast. Who are you and what are you doing here? Name's Marlowe, and I assume you're Connie. All right, I'm a private detective trying to find Bert Larson. In the process, I got mixed up in your little fiasco from one end to the other. Bert Larson. Just a cheap bookmaker. He's one of the very few people who ever gave me a fair break. Where is he, Connie? Do you know? No. Does it matter? Too bad you bunted in here just now. The man's going to do what I've decided to do. It's a most personal, private affair. It's your party. But maybe you better think it all over again, huh? I've already thought it over. Thoroughly. Turn around and walk through that door to the kitchen. Go on. Sure, sure. All right. Stop there. Now, open that door on your right. This one? Yes. Years ago, that cellar was filled with the best wines the world had to offer. What happens? You pull too many corks? Find out for yourself, Marlowe! Oh! Lester Carney, bouncing the private detective down the cellar stairs, had been rough on both the inner and outer man, and my jaw was bleeding where his heavy signet ring had connected. And I was back on my feet through the dusty jumble of barrels and boxes over to a grimy side window, and finally, out onto the street. I found neither confessed killer nor car any place in sight, which made my next step a return trip into the house and a call to Lieutenant Matthews. All right, Marlowe. From your client to Julia Carney to that ice skater and back to Julia Carney, now dead, I follow. But the why, I don't. Where's the connection between the newsboy's uncle and this guy you say is on the way out? This, uh... Lester uh, Carney, Matthews, yeah. I don't know. You don't know? You're not saying which, Phil. Well, maybe it's a little of each. Now, look, Lieutenant, I... Just a second. What is it, Marlowe? All the wire, will you, Matthews? Okay, but make it snappy, will you, Phil? Killer on the loose isn't such a good idea, even if he's promised to knock himself off. Might decide to take somebody else along. Three thousand four and a half North Westmore. Three thousand four and a half. I can't hear you, Phil. What? What? Oh, a, a piece of paper, Matthews, in a dead woman's hand. Oh, now you're fine. It's got an address on it. The same address that was on the back of the envelope Tommy's uncle left for him. Well, this address could be the connection I asked you about. Yeah. Yeah, the hook between Uncle Bert and the Connies. Well, we'll get right over there. We'll uh, Matthews, wait a minute. Let me try it alone first, will you? I, I think it's it'll play better that way. And keep the kid's uncle out of the police lineup that yeah. way. Yeah. Uh-uh, Marlo, I can't. Oh, now, wait a minute, Matthews, please. I'm thinking of the kid. Yeah, well, I... Okay. a boy. Just don't make it too long till I hear from you again. Goodbye. I knew that the 3,000 block on North Rossmore wasn't even close to the Hollywood Hills, which meant that the address couldn't be the dilettante photographer's studio that the Carney's ex-maid had described. And 20 minutes later, when I was out of my car and standing next to the doorbell marked 3,004 and a half, I knew something else. Because the name underneath was Carol King. A light showed from someplace deep inside, and my leaning on the doorbell only proved that it worked. There was no answer at 3,004 and a half, but 3,004, the other twin to the duplex, was different. It featured a sweet old lady who shattered the illusion the second she opened her mouth. I suppose you're just another one of that King girl's friends, eh? Why, do I look the type, Granny? There is no type, young man. Miss Carol King entertains all sorts. Oh, which might include a recent someone who's gray at the temple, short, and maybe talks a lot about the ponies. Huh? How would I know what her guests talk about? Oh, you've got to be kidding. 
Look, honey, a woman's been murdered tonight. And that murdered? Uh, I knew it. I knew it. No, she had to come to a bad wait end. Minute, well, only yesterday oh, I told him that if that... Hold it, Granny. Oh. Carol is not the one who's dead. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Sticks out all over you. Now, look, what about that man? Well, he was here about 30 minutes ago, just the two of them, drinking that hard liquor like it was water and making enough noise to raise the devil itself. A farewell party, they called it. Oh. Did you see him leave? No, no. Henry made me come in then, and I... Well, I mean... What... Yeah, I know what you mean. You missed it. Okay, Granny. Now, look, how do we get in here without kicking the door down? Come on, sweetheart. It's important. There may be a body inside. Uh, a body? Oh, well, how awful. Here, here. Over here, behind this ledge. That's better. She always kept a spare key. Yes? Yes, here it is. But, uh, you do it. I'm too shaky. You shouldn't be. I was thinking tomorrow, Granny, and the news you'll have for one and all. The light switches. is on your right there. Uh-huh. See anything? No. How many rooms here? Bedroom, kitchen, and bath, aside from this. Anything in there? No. You suspect foul play, all right, don't you? The foulest. Don't let it worry you, because... Hey, those photos there on the wall. They're taken from Mulholland Drive, aren't they? One by day, one by night, both in the same spot, the Hollywood Hills? Sure, sure. That's where he has a studio, that Lester fella. Yeah, that Lester fella. Granny, do you know where it is? I mean, Mulholland Drive and where? You know, that street runs for miles along the top of the mountain. Well, of course I do. I was born and raised here in Los Angeles. Granny, where? Mulholland and where? Mulholland, Laurel Canyon Boulevard, just Uh, south of the intersection. Thank you, sweetheart, and goodbye. Oh, wait. One moment now, if you please. What's the matter? What's your name, officer? I know my rights. Your name and your division. Granny, dear, I'm no cop. Huh? I said I'm no cop. Oh, not a police officer. Well, then who are you? Just a passerby. A stranger in the night. Good night, Granny. All the way from Rossmore to Sunset, then west to Laurel Canyon Boulevard, I kept worrying about Tommy Lawson and the uncle, who from where I stood, needed at least worrying about no matter which way things played. But when I was on the strip of macadam that twists its way upward toward Mulholland Drive like a snake writhing from a long, long bellyache, I forgot about both client and relatives alike. Because at the top and a little to the south, where Granny had said it would be, was Lester Carney's studio, all right. But burned to the ground. Well, he's select my wish, Sure, go fast, huh, Chief? Yeah, wasn't 20 minutes on this one. Hey, mister, where are you going? Some of that metal stuff's still pretty hot. Who are you, with the law? No, Chief, I'm a private detective named Marlowe. I was wondering if Lester Carney was caught in there. He owned this shack. Yeah, I know. Is he a friend of yours? Uh, no, it's strictly business. He's wanted for murder. Yeah, he was wanted for murder, Phil. He was burned to a crisp in there. Hello, Casey. Hello, Matthews. Well, what's your guess? He started on purpose? No, suicides hardly ever burn themselves to death. No, no. He probably took some sleeping pills or poison and then a cigarette he left going did this, you know? Hey, by the way, Phil, you saw Connie tonight. You think you might recognize him? Might. Yeah, he's over there. There isn't much. Oh, see you, Casey. Right, Matthews. Hey, Gorsuch. Hey, you tied Connie and this fire together kind of fast, didn't you, Lieutenant? <laughs> I just found out about this place. Yeah, but you work alone, Marlowe. I got help. Oh. Oh, there it is. All that's left. See anything? Yeah. That ring. I noticed it earlier uh-huh. tonight. And the watch? No, I'm not sure. I don't remember what kind of... Hey, Matthews. What is it? What are you staring at, Phil? Come on over here. Come you on. See this little piece of metal? Yeah. I think it's... Don't watch! Oh. Phil. Uh, you know, fire makes things hot. Yeah, yeah. Hot things burn and... Yeah. Marlo, what is it? It's an idea. Yeah, like what? Like this isn't suicide after all, like it's murder, Matthews. Oh. Come on, we gotta get to our phone quick.
Los Angeles International Airport, Central Dispatcher's Office. Uh, look, miss, this is important. I'm calling for Detective Lieutenant Matthews at police headquarters. What passenger flights have left in the last half hour? Passenger flights? Yeah. Well, there have been two, sir. One to Dallas, Texas, the other to Chicago. Uh, both American Airlines. Nothing out of the country? Well, what are you getting Will you wait a minute, no, Matthews? Sir. However, there is a flight scheduled to leave at 1010. Uh-huh. But that's just five minutes from now. Uh, that's going to Manila, mm. Mercury Airways. Shall I connect you? Yeah, hurry, will you please? Yes, hey, Matthews, sir. this may be it. I'm glad for you. Mercury Airways. Central Dispatcher's Office, Mercury. There's a call from the police here for you. Uh, go ahead, sir. Look, your 1010 flight from Manila, is it going out on schedule? Uh, yes, sir. The plane's standing by for the Tau Signal now. Oh, then tell me this. Is there a passenger aboard named Bert Larson? Uh, Larson? One moment, please, pilot? sir. Hurry, will you? This Larson killed Lester Connie, then he's Will you the hold it, Matthews? Oh. Yes, sir. We have a Bert Larson aboard. Oh, good. Keep him there and don't let that plane get up in the air. Do you hear? The man's wanted for murder. But don't do anything else either. Just let him sit and wait for us. You got that? Uh, yes, sir. I understand. Fine. We'll be there as soon as we can. Goodbye. Come on, Matthews. It's your show from here on in. Sirens included. <laughs> Okay, Marlowe, okay, enough. So we're on our way to the airport. We're going to catch her. Kill everything is great. But first, how do things add up? And... Yes! Mooney, take it easy. Five seconds, more or less, never yet turn the trick. Okay, Lieutenant. Were sorry. you saying something, Matthews? Yeah, yeah, I'm saying I don't know which end is up, Phil. Look, Lester Connie killed his wife, right? Right. Why? Because he wanted her out of the way so that he and a cheap little monster named Carol King can live happily ever after. Oh, divorce wouldn't do that for him, huh? No! Oh, I don't think so. Probably because Julia Connie had a real tight grip on the purse strings. Oh. Maybe something more, like it's not very nice pass for a guest. Yeah, yeah, but the purse strings, the money, that's where Bert Lawson figures in, huh? A bookie with a claim. No, no, blackmail. Now, I figure Bert Lawson knew about Connie and Carol King. He must have stopped by once to pick up or pay off a bet at the right time. Yeah, and from there, what? And from there, the team of Carol and Lester kill Lester's wife. Yeah, which we've covered. But not in detail. Now, listen. You see, after the murder, Lester planned to kill himself. Yeah. Or at least make it look like that. Yeah. A suicide note, the Mulholland studio burned down the works. Yeah, yeah, and the body we found. That's an added attraction. Bert Larson included in the last minute. What? The wife and then the blackmailer? Ah, you're getting it. Drugged while drinking at Carol's, where he thought that he was going to get paid off in money. Then up to Mulholland Drive, ring watch and flames added. Oh, and then then out here at the airport headed for Manila. Lester Carney. Uh Uh-huh. Hey, Mooney, we're getting close. You better kill the siren. Okay, Marlon. Now, Phil, how do you know all this? I mean, the switch. You know, what makes it so? That piece of metal I burned my fingers on, Matthews, yeah. it was a tap from a shoe. And Bert Larson wore taps. The rest of it adds from there. Yeah, including Connie at the airport now as Larson. Sure, who'd be uh, looking for a beat-up second-rate bookie who decided to leave town? Aside from a nephew, that is. Yeah, aside from a nephew who tried every place but the airport. Uncle Bert couldn't stand planes. The brakes, Matthews. Oh, here we are. Yeah, just you and me and Mooney and a killer. Aren't you coming, Phil? Uh, no, I think I'll wait here, Matthews. I, I, I got some thinking to do. About the scum you sometimes meet in the night? No. About the kind of a kid I almost never meet in the night. See it. Yeah. All right, come on, Mooney. Maybe our boy will make a break for it, I hope. Lester Connie didn't make a break for it, and an hour later when they picked up Carol King, it was the same thing. Each of them was surly, ugly, but they talked. So when I finally left police headquarters, where try as he would for Tommy's sake, Matthews had found it impossible to skip over Bert Larson's connection as a blackmailer. It was pushing midnight, and I was dog-tired. 
I was something worse than that when I was back on the corner near my office, walking toward Tommy Larson, who was untying a stack of fresh newspapers. Then the headline. Read all about it. Hollywood killer nab. Blackmailing bookie. Jealous wife slain. Hiya, kid. Hiya, Mr. Marlowe. Lieutenant Matthews tells me you had kind of a rough night. Kinda? When'd you talk to him, Tommy? After the first editions hit the street, I... I wanted to know if you were okay. The story didn't say. Pub... Publicity no good for your business, huh? Not much. Look, kid, did the lieutenant say anything about you? I mean... Oh, uh... I'm gonna stay with a neighbor. A friend of Uncle Bert's. Uh... He had friends, you know. He wasn't really bad at heart, Mr. Marlowe. Not really. I... I believe that. So do I, Tommy. He was just mixed up. Yeah. Sure he was. And you know why? The way he thought the world owed him a living, that's why. I couldn't tell him otherwise. He... (laughs) Excuse me, Mr. Marlowe. I... I gotta get going. Thanks a lot. You were swell. Sure. Extra, extra, bookie and babe slain in Hollywood Triangle. Two dead in Hollywood slaying. Extra, extra, extra. There's nothing more pathetic than a kid. The first time he's really slapped down by life. We, the older ones, the tired ones, learn to roll with a punch. Because we've got time in our corner, watching us, counseling us, teaching us how to save ourselves, so that the final gong, we're still on our feet. But a kid, a kid steps into life's arena expecting to find his opponents all he was taught to believe they would be. Instead, he finds the old one-two below the belt. But if here he finds a good guy, and there a great girl, the going suddenly becomes not so rough. The fight becomes worth it. If only to help the next generation of Tommies find their ring a little cleaner. And the break's not quite so tough. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Gil Stratton, Jr., Virginia Gregg, Wilms Herbert, Joan Banks, and Vivi Janis. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dubkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Orant. Stay tuned now for Gangbusters, which follows immediately on most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's the adventures of Philip Marlowe, December 3rd, 1949, with a kid on the corner starring Gerald Moore, also in the cast, Gil Stratton, Joan Banks, Larry Dobkin, Virginia Gregg, Vivi Janis, and Wilms Herbert is heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more on Hollywood 360.
More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Next time, it's Paladin on Have Gun, Will Travel, Good Western Adventure. Then a comedy with Marie Wilson starring on My Friend Irma. That's next time right here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.